Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman. Our regular co-host Justin Lewis will be back with us next week um, as his summer of uh, his eventful summer is uh, is coming to an end. But obviously, the schedule has been released, and we are happy to have a very special guest for the first time in, in me and Justin's uh, time here with the 3 and D podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues site manager Joe Molinax. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. I enjoy the work you and Justin do, not just here on 3ND, but obviously you both are contributors to grizzlybearblues.com. And you, sir, uh, congratulations. Uh, A recently uh, earned promotion within the blog to a paid contributor. So thank you for the work you do, and obviously Justin as well. And 3ND in the next week or two is going to be coming over to the GBB Podcast Network. So that's another good thing for you guys coming, coming your way. Hard work pays off, and and I appreciate all the stuff you guys do over at GBB, and it's go- it's great to be here. Well, Joe, obviously, I, I, I you know speak for Justin as well, but uh, on my end, uh, we can't thank you enough for the opportunity and the uh, the trust that you put in us. We, we it's definitely appreciated. So, um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, really exciting time. Obviously, um, you know, uh, we kind of are in a lull when it comes to the NBA season, but obviously. The schedule is here. And Joe, when you look at the schedule, obviously it's 82 games. You know, it's it, it's a long stretch. But there are some initial things that pop out to you. Before we get into some specifics, just a couple of things when you looked at the schedule for the first time on Monday that really popped out to you that, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of people may not have noticed. Just Just the things that really popped out to you right off the bat. Well, I think people noticed that there were a lot of home games early. I think it's 13 of the first 20 games are at home. I I like that for the sake of the young guys in that locker room. It's a chance for them to kind of get their feet wet in the NBA without traveling too much. Obviously, that's going to come later if you have a lot of home games early. That means you're going to have a lot of road games down the, down the finishing stretch of the season, and that is true for the Grizzlies. But I do like how they're going to have an opportunity to kind of ease into the campaign, not in terms of opponent quality, because they've got some tough ones early on, especially that second stretch of uh, second half of November. But I do like that they're able to not have so much travel. Hopefully that means a lot of practice time for them, especially once training camp breaks. You know, you hear coaches all the time complain about how they don't really have time for practice because of all the travel and you want to give guys time off to keep their legs and all that stuff. And, you know, I think practice is going to be massively important for this young group as they start to gel and, and rebuild what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly in terms of identity, scheme, and all that. New coaching staff, new front office, essentially new roster, uh, give or take a few pieces. It's going to be really fascinating to watch it unfold, and I think they need as much time on the court together as possible in that practice setting, a controlled environment for Taylor Jenkins and his crew. So I really like that it's a lot of home games early because it means it gives them opportunity to practice and get as much, uh, as many reps as humanly possible, hopefully, uh, playing with each other. So a lot of them have never played together before. So, Joe, you had mentioned, uh, getting into to the next question, you had mentioned, you know, that second half of uh, November, right before and right after Thanksgiving, Mike Conley comes back the 15th with the Jazz and for the first time, and then two weeks later he'll make his second return to Memphis, the 15th through the 29th. Well, that stretch right there, the Grizzlies play seven games in two weeks against teams that legitimately have a shot to finish in the top 
four of their respective conference. When you look at that stretch, it's such a tough stretch in the first month uh, of a lot of these younger guys' first or second season. What are you hoping to see? You know, we may not, you know, do that well record-wise, but how do you think the guys will react, and, and how are you hoping? Are you looking at the individual matchups or just seeing the team as a whole, Jill? I'm interested in the team as a whole because I think we know that Jaron Jackson Jr. should make a pretty good leap this year, at least theoretically speaking. John Morant, I think most logical folks see him struggling early, so hopefully they don't jump down his throat, you know, 10 games in if he's, you know, not shooting very well and turning the ball over too much. You know, John Morant, I kind of anticipate a Trey Young-esque season for him, not in terms of skill sets because obviously Trey Young and John Morant are pretty different players, but in terms of development, you know, I think Ja will take a little bit of time to get his get his feet under him as an NBA point guard, and then he'll come along. It may not even happen as fast as it did for Trey, but I do foresee him growing pretty rapidly, especially the second half of the season. That first half of the season and that stretch games that you just alluded to, it's going to be a welcome to the NBA rook kind of thing, you know, especially for somebody like Jaron, who is at worst the second best player on the team now. Uh, it's going to be a tough spot for him to have to be the focus of an offense and a defensive scheme while having to contend with the return of Mike Conley, you know, and obviously the Jazz are one of those title contenders you mentioned. You know, when the Lakers come to town, that's going to be a big challenge. Anthony Davis going against Jaron Jackson Jr. at times, and, and that's not to say he's not up for it, but I do think that you're going to see some team struggles in those times as well as individual ones. I'm interested to see who's going to compete, who's going to rise to the moment, and not necessarily, you know, lead Memphis in an underdog win over the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't know how realistic that is to expect. What I do think is realistic to expect is competition uh, and, and a willingness to compete and fight and kind of grind through these early days of this rebuild. I'm looking for that energy being kept, the positivity that Jared and Job brought into the fold, those kinds of things, because. Uh, as we've talked about before, Sean, both at GBB and in our own Slack channel uh, within our staff, one of the nice things about this coming season is there's no expectation. You know, if they are awful, Memphis will get another top five pick, and that's another, you know, building block in Memphis. If the Grizzlies do well enough to convey, that's a win within itself. Uh, nobody expects anything beyond, you know, 30 wins. I think people would be pretty excited if Memphis found a way to do that all the Vegas over-unders are 27, 28 games. So it's one of those things where you you don't have to worry about them winning. You can just watch them compete and watch them try to find each other as teammates. And, and uh, as I mentioned before, I'm big on culture and identity. I think Memphis has been lacking that the last couple of years. And, and emphasizing that, what it means to be a Grizzly, the work ethic, the, the effort you're going to put in, the way that you approach the game on a night-in and night-out basis I'm going to be really interested in seeing how they're able to apply those principles that they're certainly going to try to establish in training camp to when the going gets tough, especially in that two-week stretch that you mentioned earlier. And off the court, you know, the coaching staff, obviously a completely new coaching staff, you know, one that's not, you know, built that much on tangible experience, but a lot of diverse and, you know, a very good mind will be on the Grizzlies coaching staff under Taylor Jenkins. That same stretch at the end of November, Joe, do you think that it, it, it makes sense to, to really focus on 
how the coaching staff handles that, you know, the adjustments, the rotations, things like that. Do you feel it makes sense for fans at that point? That's a time where they can really get an understanding of how this coaching staff can add value, something we you know haven't seen that much of over the past few years, but really get an idea of how this coaching staff can add value, or will it still be a little bit too early to, to kind of get a gouge of what they can do? I think that'd be a little too early. I think the earliest would be Christmas. I, you know, around the November time period of year of the year, I always kind of tweet out the hashtag team call me at Christmas. Uh, I think that's when you get a good feel for who you are, not just as a roster, but as a coaching staff. And obviously we talk about development with the players. The same thing is going to be true for the coaching staff. You know, Taylor Jenkins is going to be in a role that he's never been in before. You have multiple coaches that are going to be in roles that they've never been in before. And I think you make a great point about the diversity of the coaching staff and the different perspectives and concepts and experience that they're all going to bring to trying to make the most out of this Grizzlies roster and its youth and its talent and its athleticism in places like John Morant. And, you know, there, there's going to be growing pains with them as well. You know, Taylor Jenkins is going to call a bad timeout. He's going to draw up an ineffective out of timeout call. He's going to, miss a player in a rotation or he's going to stick with a bad rotation for too long he's going to make those mistakes but whenever you're working with young people or inexperienced people in a job it's not about the mistake it's about how they learn from it it's about the growth from that moment and and not making the mistake again or if you make a similar mistake you know the way to correct it as quickly as possible that's what i'm looking for from them it's the same kind of concept that you would apply to a player I want to see what Taylor Jenkins does when he blows a game because he's going to. That's going to happen. There's going to be an end-of-game situation where Memphis is competing against somebody they shouldn't compete with, let's say the Houston Rockets, for the sake of argument. Memphis is down two to the Houston Rockets in a game in December. And I don't know if they play in December. I'm just hypothetically speaking. But they're, they're playing Houston, and they're down by two with nine seconds left. And for some reason, the out-of-timeouts play doesn't work, and it winds up being an isolation play for Jaron, and he airballs it, and they lose. You know, there's going to be fans really frustrated with him, but I'm not going to be so worried about that individual play as I am the follow-through, the, the follow-up, what happens next, and how he learns the next time he's in a similar spot. So that's what I'm really looking for with this coaching staff is the growth and development that they make when they do make poor calls and what their roles are all going to be in terms of developing what the future of the Grizzlies is actually going to look like. So, Joe, we, we get past the first month of the season. Conley has has come uh, back. You know, I'm kind of glad that the, the Conley-Gasol um, visits are so spaced out. You get Conley, as wonderful as it's going to be, he comes, he goes. You, we all get to experience it and enjoy it in a two-week stretch. But that allows for us to focus on the team. And so we get past that tough stretch. Now you get into December, things get a little bit you know, easier. Every night's still going to be a competition. But I think that time you may start to see now a guy come out of nowhere who really starts to develop. You start to see the, the impact Taylor Jenkins can have by taking a talent who you really don't know that much about, and he develops them into something significant, especially at the shooting guard position. Joe, when you look at that December schedule, it eases up a little bit. How do you see the shooting guard position really developing? And do you think by that time we'll know who the key guy is, um, either in the starting lineup or in the rotation, who's really taking that position over? Well, I think the guy who's eventually going to be that starting two for the next several years alongside Jaron and Ja is not on the roster yet, first and foremost. Whether it's 
in the 2020 NBA draft, there's several wings that are uh, projected to be in that mix in terms of being top five or top ten talents that Memphis could be interested in, or restricted free agency. You know, you have Malik Beasley, Jalen Brown. Uh, there's several great shooting guard types and small forward types that are going to be potentially available in restricted free agency, and Memphis is going to have a considerable amount of cap space once the uh, the C.J. Miles, uh, not, excuse me, not C.J. Miles, the uh, the Solomon Hill, the Miles Plumley, you know those those large expiring contracts. Andre Iguodala, if he stays on the roster, which most folks agree he won't, but you know they're they're going to have a lot of expiring money coming off of the books, and it's going to be an opportunity for them to maybe make an acquisition in restricted free agency to fill that role. But for the here and now, you know, Dylan Brooks makes sense. He's one of the the easiest, safest picks because he's been around. He he knows the market. He understands how to play alongside Jaron, at least, and, and Valanchunas. He has experience within playing with those guys, so he has a leg up on the newbies. But you got a lot of options there. You know, I think that you could see a lot of two-point guard sets with Tyus Jones and John Morant playing alongside each other. I think DeAnthony Melton is a player to keep an eye on in terms of his frame. Obviously, the Grizzlies value him. They viewed him as kind of the centerpiece in a trade that involved Josh Jackson. And don't forget Josh Jackson. Assuming the Grizzlies keep him around, he's a former top five talent himself. He was selected just a couple of years ago, and, and I think it was four overall by the Phoenix Suns. And obviously he's been really bad, and, and he's had issues off the court. And that's why he was essentially a salary dump in the trade that Memphis uh, got him in. But if he can figure it out, and if he can buy into what the Grizzlies are trying to be and do, and, and can you know kind of find himself as an NBA player, not necessarily as a superstar or a high usage guy or a volume scorer like Phoenix needed him to be at times. But if he can just fit in a role with the Grizzlies, it'll be a sneaky good acquisition and he can play that two guard spot. That's not even mentioning Grayson Allen. And, you know, there's other options on the roster beyond just the guys that we mentioned. So it's going to be one of the more fun races to kind of watch play out as the year goes on. And I'm not necessarily convinced that the guy who starts there on opening night will be the guy that is the guy moving forward, if that makes sense. And Joe, the other thing about, you know, you said establishing the culture, really, you know, trying to, you know, start to figure out the identity of this team. We've talked about it a little bit, um, you know, as a group over at GBB, but, you know, the offensive upside is exciting, certainly with Clark and Morant and Jackson Jr., but a lot of these talents are also naturally gifted on defense, maybe even more than they are on offense. Do you think that as the Grizzlies, you know, go into the season, they continue to grow together, they gel? Do you think the Grizzlies could potentially be, uh, surprisingly, one of the better, you know, defensive teams out there if they get the rotations down and some of these players develop? It might be a stretch this year. Uh, their schedule is so hard. So many different schedule grading uh, folks have the Grizzlies, I think, in either three or four in terms of most difficult schedules. It's just going to be a challenge for them all around this coming season. But long-term, I think you're exactly right. It's going to come down to the development of John Morant's defender. You know, one of the knocks on him coming out of Murray State was you either think he's a bad defender, he's at best a neutral defender, or you have no idea because he was playing at Murray State. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things that he's kind of an unknown entity as a defensive player. At best, you know, you, you could argue he is known to not be very good on that end. 
Uh, Jaron and Brandon kind of speak for themselves. Jaron Jackson Jr. is already, you can argue, an elite defender, especially as a rim protector and as a switchable big onto guards and wings. And Brandon Clark figures to be able to do the same thing. I mean, he he was really explosive as a rim protector at Gonzaga, and he showed flashes of that in the Summer League, too. Now, obviously, Summer League is not the wear and tear of an NBA grind of a season, 82 games, but I do think it's logical to assume that Brandon Clark's going to be able to play well defensively in the NBA not maybe not as well as he did at Gonzaga, but he and Jaron long term are going to be a pretty formidable defensive front court. You have the pieces, but it's going to come down to execution. Obviously, Kyle Anderson coming back will be big from a defensive perspective. Uh, Dylan Brooks was asked two years ago to defend the best player on teams when the Grizzlies were in the first year of their their really bad play these last couple of seasons. So I think that there's a lot of pieces. Josh Jackson, we mentioned earlier, Anthony Melton. You know, there's guys that, in theory, on paper, could be pretty good defenders. And within a team scheme, you know, Taylor Jenkins comes from a place in Milwaukee where they love length. You know, they love guys that have long wingspans that can deflect passes, that can create opportunities uh, in the passing lanes and pick off uh, errant passes from the offense. You know, there's going to be opportunities for these guys to kind of see what they can do in terms of their athleticism and their length and their size. It's going to be on them to kind of execute it, and that's always the question when it comes to a young team. How quickly are they able to pick up those X's and O's? I'm leaning towards being on the cautious side, and I think maybe year two you could see them in the top 15 or maybe even top 10 defensively, but that's probably going to be a hard sell in year one for me. So we get past, obviously, you know, they're also going to be here for Christmas and they're going to be here for New Year's. So that, like we say, the first half of the schedule is very friendly. But you get around the All-Star break and then you start to see, you know, th- there's the potential for for some trials there. Um, obviously, as we get into February going into March, it, it's likely that the Grizzlies are going to be losing often. But the schedule itself also is not too friendly between, I believe it was February 5th and 6th up till March 7th. The Grizzlies, in over a month span, have three home games. Now, we do get the All-Star break. Hopefully, multiple Grizzlies will be involved with that. But with a young team who's probably going to be losing often, only, um, you know, three games in that month stretch. Joe, do you think that's going to be, you know, tough on this team? And how do the Grizzlies handle it? How how do you allow those young guys to work through that, you know, grind of the schedule and still maintain, you know, their, their focus and, and, you know, developing their talent, you know, even when the tangible results are not on the court? I think positivity is going to be a major piece of it. And, I, and that's one of the reasons I really like the way Jaron and Joff kind of approached making the team theirs this offseason, whether it's through social media, Jaron going to multiple NBA events, and I think Jaron was at the ESPYs for ESPN. And, you know, putting yourself out there and, and having a good positive outlook on things and the right perspective on the season. Like I said, if they come into it and, you know, it's like the old Chris Wallace days and they talk about how competing for the sixth seed, seventh seed, the eighth seed, that's going to be their top priority. That would be a massive mistake. That that can't be the message anymore. And I don't think Jason Wexler and Zach Kleiman and that that group over at uh, 191 Beale Street, I don't think they're going to do that anymore. They talk about being proactive and not reactive, and they've lived up to that so far in their tenure. I I look forward to them, like I said earlier, fighting through it. You know, I want to see what their mental makeup is. Are they going to keep getting up after getting knocked down? Because there's going to be five, six, seven game losing streaks. That's extremely realistic and probably should be expected by Grizzlies fans. How are you going to respond? Are you going to keep getting up? Are you going to keep showing up to practice, to work, you know, doing the very best you can? 
Are you going to be negative? Are you going to cast doubt? Are you going to question publicly? I don't think they're going to do any of those things, but that's what I'm going to be looking for, especially during that stretch. Say Jaron doesn't get selected for an all-star activity or John Morant gets slighted in some way. I'd be surprised if both of those guys aren't in the Rising Stars Challenge. But you know what I mean. When something doesn't go the way that you expect it to, what are you going to do? Because that's going to be where your character develops. That's going to be where what it means to be a Grizzly, that thing that I keep harping on. It, it doesn't shine through in the good times, Sean. It, it's in the bad times. It's in those moments of adversity when you can, you know, fold it in and, and point the finger of blame at others, or you can kind of step up as a leader and fight through it and grit your teeth. And, and the ironic thing is, to me, in terms of what this Grizzlies basketball team should be, it should be a reflection of what they've been the past decade. You know, the idea of grit and grind, but not Tony Allen running around yelling first team all defense. But, you know, to, ha- to have grit in your life is to be somebody who grinds, to, you know, re- literally grind out day in and day out, and put in the work that it takes to be good at something, especially at the highest levels of professional basketball. You know, everybody's elite as an athlete. Everybody's an elite shooter. Everybody can do a lot of these different things. And, it's going to be a rude awakening for some of these young players who haven't had to deal with that. How are they going to respond is going to be what's the most fascinating thing because if Memphis does eventually, you know, in four years, five years, whatever, have a championship parade on Beale Street, it's not necessarily going to be that that season in particular where it happens. It's, it's, if it's going to be with this core of guys, the groundwork, the foundation is being laid right now and in this coming season. And it's going to be built around how they respond in those moments of adversity. Obviously, you know, the focus is on the court, but, you know, there are things also off the court that I feel like the Grizzlies could improve upon. And again, we're with Joe Mullinax of site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues. Just a few more questions. But, you know, focusing on things off the court as well, injuries, the training staff. You know, last year, Joe, we saw Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kyle Anderson, you know, miss all or, you know, half or a third of the season. You know, we wound up a big stretch of the season not having any of, you know, our, 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 you know, guys who are part of our future. What do you see the Grizzlies doing this year? Maybe minute restrictions or things like that. Do you see the mentality of the Grizzlies on the usage of their players? Do you see previous year's injuries having an impact on that and them changing their approach to make sure that, you know, their young guys stay on the court and remain fresh? I think that they're going to emphasize getting as many minutes with these guys as they possibly can. Well, that doesn't mean they go all uh, Tom Thibodeau on them and and play them 40 minutes a game. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think they're going to prioritize getting these guys into a routine where they can play basketball together. Now, if that means they don't play more than 30 minutes a game, I could see that happening. I think that's possible. But I don't think anybody on this team has earned the designation of load management, if that makes sense. We don't have Kawhi Leonard. We don't have LeBron James. Those guys aren't walking through that door. Uh, Jaron and Job maybe have that potential, but they're sort of certainly not there yet. So hopefully they're not giving guys off random games. But I do think what you will see is if Jaron Jackson Jr. is sore in his ankle or if Jaw has a tight hamstring, they're not going to challenge them to push through it, if that makes sense. There's no playoff push where, you know, five years ago, if Mike Conley had the same injury, he would have played because they need to win that game to keep the seven seed and avoid the Golden State Warriors, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think that's going to happen. If Jaw is tight and the training staff says he could go if you need him, 
I think Taylor Jenkins and company will say, oh, well, we don't need them. You know, Tyus Jones will get the start and they'll go from there. So that's kind of where I think they'll take it. It's not necessarily loosening the reins and giving them a load management or minutes restriction because I don't think they've, I don't know, maybe earned it isn't the right word. And there's still some aspects of me that are old school. I think they need to play basketball. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. is 19 years old still. I don't think he's going to wear down the way a 35 or 36-year-old would. But at the same time, there's no need to make them push through a nagging injury, something that could become a more long-term setback because of the fact there are no expectations beyond development. And, Joe, the other thing off the court that, you know, it, it, when we are away, when the Grizzlies are away from, you know, the FedEx Forum, you know, uh, the, in the month of July, um, February and March, obviously the Memphis Tigers are, 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 are it this year. They're, 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 they're carrying steam, a lot of expectations for that team, and that will be about the time that the buzz for them, the excitement for them starts up. The Grizzlies, though, um, over the past few years, the marketing, the campaigns, the promotions, they've had some good ideas. Some, like the wrestling theme last year, may have gotten a little stale. But it looks like that to keep some focus on the Grizzlies, keep fans engaged on the product, this new regime, the front office, has done some good things, like the jerseys and the new court. Do you feel that there's going to be an added emphasis on the campaigns, the, the, the campaigns, the fan interactions, the promotions and things like that, so that the Grizzlies can keep the fans engaged because we may be going through a few more lean years of a lot of losses? Do you feel they're going to put a big emphasis on the, uh, the promotions and things such as that to keep the fans engaged? Sure. I think they're going to do some more innovative things. And obviously the throwback jerseys aren't necessarily innovative. It's the opposite of that. But I do think that Jason Wexler understands the market, you know, and I, I believe that he's going to get completely – that the Tigers are going to kind of run that town as long as Penny Hardaway is there and the Grizzlies are rebuilding. I do believe that if Memphis, the Grizzlies were competing for a championship, like the peak of grit and grind, that Western conference finals run, Memphis can support both the Tigers and the Grizzlies being good. I'm not sure that Memphis or any city really, unless you're like a New York or Los Angeles, where you have millions upon millions of people. I'm not sure that Memphis can support, the Tigers being really good and the Grizzlies being bad and balancing those two. I feel like the Tigers will come to the forefront, especially in those dog days in March. And, you know, as the Tigers theoretically gear up as a two or three seed for an NCAA championship run, the Grizzlies will fall to the fall to the back burner. And I think that's probably inevitable, but what the Grizzlies have to do is show, and I think they've done a good job at this to this point, that everything has a purpose. You know, it's not being bad for the sake of being bad. They are looking at developing, again, I talk about culture, what it means to be a Grizzly. That is something that they are really prioritizing in terms of the type of person they're bringing in, the type of work ethic all these young players have, the chip on their shoulder kind of idea. That that is a very Memphis concept. And if they can find ways to market that, John Morant's very marketable. Jaron Jackson Jr. is very marketable. Brandon Clark. I think has marketability to him. And I think Memphians, as they get to know their story, especially John Morant, are really going to fall in love with those players like they eventually did with Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. The opening is there. They just have to be persistent and understand that they, they have to kind of grind through, like we talked about, the, the difficult schedule on the court. Off the court, the Memphis Tigers are probably going to be pretty successful. And 
it's natural, especially in a smaller market, if you have two major basketball teams, one's good and one's not, it's not going to be too surprising if the FedEx Forum is sold out for a Tigers game. But, you know, the next night, it's a little bit sparse for a Grizzlies matinee. And I've seen that before. I did that last year when Tennessee came to town and played Memphis. And, folks, if there's a little bit of a of a, 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 a smile that you can tell on Joe's face, he's a Virginia Cavaliers fan. So when he talks college <laughs> basketball this year, he's, he's living on cloud nine. Congrats to your Cavaliers on that, by the way, Joe. Joe, as we wind up uh, this this opportunity to speak with you, just a quick lightning round. Now, obviously, you don't have the ability to come to the FedEx Forum as a lot of us do, right. but just some quick questions for you, just short answers. So, besides Mark, besides uh, Mike, if there was one game that, when you look at the schedule, that you could come to Memphis if you had the ability to and to see, what would that be? Ah. Uh. I would probably say the Clippers. You know, I think the Lakers are a popular answer there, but I would say the Clippers because I want to see what that what that roster looks like with Kawhi and Paul George because they still have Harrell, you know, Montrez Harrell. They still have Lou Williams. You know, they yeah. still have Patrick Beverly and Landry Schmidt. They're, that's going to be a pretty darn good basketball team. Our old friend Michael Green's back on the Clippers. So uh, I would be interested in seeing them and how they're going to make all that talent fit. I think the Clippers are being slept on a little bit. Uh, they're not as personality sexy as LeBron and, and the Lakers, but the Clippers are they're I think they're ready for a title run. That would be the team I'd want to see. I agree with you completely. I, I, I've stated, you know, through writings and, and talking with folks, I think the thing that helped, that sets the Clippers apart is their supporting cast as much as it is, as it is uh, Kawhi and PG. For individual matchups, when you look at John ja Morant, who's the one player that you really look forward to seeing him individually match up against as the season goes along? I look forward to seeing John Morant play against Londo Ball and uh, the New Orleans Pelicans because I think that's going to be, and obviously Drew Holiday, and they have other point guards there as well. But to me, that's really the future of the NBA in terms of competition. And you could argue the Dallas Mavericks too, of course. Uh, but the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, and of course Atlanta and the Eastern Conference, those are the three squads that right, that really jump off the page as the brightest futures at this moment. Obviously things can change. Uh, I'm curious to see how Ja is able to dominate that matchup because if it comes down to New Orleans and Memphis three or four years from now as those two powerhouses in the Southwest Division, if assuming things don't change and expansion and all that stuff, uh, how, if Londo stays, of course, that's another assumption, but you're looking at competition between Ja and Lonzo, and that's a, that's a battle that Memphis is going to need Ja to win if they're going to be good down the road. You know, Jared and Zion maybe cancel each other out. I'm looking for matchups where Ja is going to be, you know, he, Lonzo Ball gets a bad rep because of his dad. You know, he's, he's a decent basketball player, and he's especially good defensively. Uh, what he does against Lonzo and if he's able to kind of take it to him, I think that's one that I'd be interested in seeing and watching that kind of rivalry develop over the next few years. And for J- Jaron Jackson Jr., I think the obvious answer may be Zion. And if that's your answer, that that's great. But the same question for him, just a guy that you really look forward to seeing Jaron match up against as you know, this season goes along and beyond this season. I actually wrote about it for the blog. I did kind of a back and forth with Dave King, a bright side of the sun. I want to see Jaron Jackson's in the game because I think 
I think that that's going to be a, a rivalry down the road, especially as Junior trans, uh, transfers to center over the next few years. How he responds to a player like DeAndre Ayton and how they both kind of evolve and develop because, you know, you get this vision of Ayton as not a big plotting big, I don't think that's fair to him at all, but, you know, you see Ayton for whatever reason as a more traditional big, whereas Jaron is that unicorn type, the big that might have guard skills. And, and that was one of the interesting conversations I had in that post. So I would urge folks uh, to go check it out at grizzlybearblues.com, scouting the enemy Phoenix Suns. Um, it really is kind of fascinating to look at Aiden versus Jackson and, and how those two are going to play against each other. And obviously with Jonas Valanciunas in the fold, it's not always going to be Jaron against DeAndre. But when those two do match up and as that transition does occur, because Jaron should be the backup center on this team as well as the starting four, how those guys play against each other, how they both grow their games is going to be fun to watch. Folks, this is why we were so excited to get him on. Um, his name is Joe Molinax. You can find him at Joe Molinax on Twitter. Um, Joe, first off, congratulations on all the success. Now over 4,000 followers on Twitter, so congratulations <laughs> on that. Um, well, thank the thing you. That I will ask, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, the, 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 you've you definitely earned it. One thing I'll ask before we head out on, on this edition of the 3ND Podcast, just some things that are going on at the site, building up for the season. Also, um, you know, I know that you've got your own uh, podcast for they bear blues live. I know that you're busy with some things right now, but just some things uh, folks may be able to look forward to as the season, as we get closer to the season. Sure. Uh, through the month of August, our Parker Fleming, new associate editor over at GBB, has organized the Scouting the Enemy series. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. I, I did a couple of posts this week. So you mentioned me being busy. I I'm a head football coach by trade, so this is obviously the busiest time of the year for me, uh, which is nice because the NBA slows down in August and September. But um, He's set up this series, Scouting the Enemy, where they break down or we break down every uh, team's offseason, how they did, what they did, that sort of stuff. Uh, we're expanding our podcast network. We mentioned 3&D coming over in the next week or two. Uh, we're going to start several other podcasts heading into the season. Um, we're, we're really just kind of growing and developing different voices at GBB. You know, we're trying to be more diverse, get more perspectives. Uh, as the Grizzlies kind of go to a brain trust model, so do we. You know, I, I steer the ship as the site manager, but hopefully through the next year or two and, and even moving forward beyond that, you know, it's bigger than me. You know, I've gotten plenty of opportunities and, and I've worked pretty hard for them and I appreciate the compliment. But, you know, my goal has always been for GBB to be a place that people come to, not because it's Joe Molinax, but because it's a large group of Grizzlies fans and thinkers and writers that give different perspectives than maybe you would have. And I think that's when, when you're able to learn best is when you look at things in a way that maybe you hadn't thought of before, it expands your, your thought process. And in order to do that, you need to have as many different diverse and progressive uh, ways of looking at the game and the Grizzlies themselves as possible. So, you know, whether it's GDB Live, my podcast, whether it's 3&D, uh, the Core 4 that Parker and Nate Chester do, uh, there's all sorts of great content, listening, reading, Keep coming to GBB. I'm proud of the work that our staff does. and It's only going to get bigger and better as we get into the season in the next couple of months. 
Again, his name is Joe Molinax. Um, and thank you so much, Joe. If you'll hang on just for a second after after we finish up here. My name is Sean Coleman. You can follow me at Stats SAC. You can follow Justin at J underscore Timber Fake underscore. And you can follow the podcast at 3 and D Pod. Joe, best of luck to you for training camp for football. I wish you and your um, team nothing but the best of success as the season comes up. Um, and again, thank you for joining us tonight. Of course. Happy to do it. Thank you, Sean. All right. Thank you so much, folks, for joining us here on the 3ND Podcast.